All right, let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray. There's not many announcements. Uh, but let's pray together and seek the Lord as we come together here again this evening. Father, thank you for bringing us again together again this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the anticipation that's in our spirits, that, Lord, your spirit remains among us and upon us. And, Lord, as we meet together, Lord, we can believe and rely upon and depend upon the presence of God and, and, your, and a visitation of God upon our souls this evening. Lord, thank you for one another. Thank you for uh, the fact, Lord, that uh, many of us gathered together here know the Lord and have been saved by sovereign grace. Lord, you've moved in our hearts. You've taken away the scales from our eyes. The light has dawned in our souls. And, Father, we've experienced the risen, resurrected Christ. Lord, we thank you for that joy that has filled our hearts of sins forgiven and peace with God. And thank you, Lord, today that by your spirit you are working in the church, in this land in these days. We believe, Lord, that you're drawing men and women out onto yourself. And, Lord, we believe that you're speaking into the hearts of people in t- today. Many perhaps don't hear your voice, don't recognize that voice. But yet, Lord, we thank you that you're still moving, you're still working in the hearts and lives of men and women. And so, O oh God, we pray that as we gather together in this house this evening, Lord, as we mix and mingle with one another, as, Lord, we bring that atmosphere of God with us, Lord, there'll be a heightened atmosphere of God amongst us. Father, we pray that our community will once again come alive to God. We've been praying much, Lord, and seeking you much in these days for revival, and how we would long that the Spirit of God will move in the hearts of people, and people will respond to your, uh, your leading, your your inspiration. And so, Father, even begin that work amongst us this evening, we pray. Lord, so we, we, we hedge ourselves in with you today, and we ask that you'd hedge yourself in with us. And, oh God, may we hear and see nothing other than Jesus in his glory this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to get you to stand and sing uh, just three songs. We, I was going to try and uh, do that one that we did this morning, but we don't have the words uh, for it, but I'd love to have done it. Uh, but we don't have the words, uh, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, but I will do it next Sunday morning, uh, if that's all right. We're going to stand and sing, I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Let's all stand and sing together, please. Thank you.
interesting if you are to look up in your concordance and see how often the Bible talks about come, uh, how many times that invitation is given to us, come. Uh, and so when you get that word come, it means that you have something you have to do. There's a response you have to make, an action you have to take. And so we, as we sing this next song, it says, come people of the risen Lord, uh, of the risen King. Let's uh, come to him in worship and praise and sing with great gratitude in our hearts and they knowledge that he is God. Come people of the risen King. last song we sing before we come to God's word is yet not I but Christ in me so let's uh, can we and Stanley will sing this great song together of testimony and acknowledgement that it's God's gift of grace to us that brings us from darkness to light mm -hmm. 
Heavenly Father, as we settle down now, Father, after entering into your courts with praise and thanksgiving, after, Lord, we lifted up our heart in worship to the God of heaven, the King who is on the throne, after we've acknowledged, Lord, that our salvation is of God, and all our riches are not in our well-being or well-doing, but all our riches are established and founded in Christ. Lord, we pray that as we come now to your word, we ask for the gracious help of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that he will move from seat to seat, from heart to heart. And, O oh God, that as you have already, 2,000 years ago, opened up the windows of heaven, Lord, that you would pour us out a blessing, the blessing sufficient for our day, the blessing sufficient for our need, that, O oh God, that we might, you might take away the scales and, Lord, the shackles from our lives, and, O oh God, that we might behold wondrous things in your law. We commit, Lord, ourselves to you. Pray your hand will be upon us. Your blessing will settle down upon us now as we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to turn to God's Word. Uh, the title tonight is, Who's That Standing at My Door? Who's That Knocking on My Door? And if you want to find out the passage, then it's found in the Revelation chapter 3, and the verse 14 to verse 22. Uh, you will know that in these Thursdays we are uh, into the, the book of the Revelation, but we didn't do anything with chapter 2 and chapter 3 because those are the letters to the seven churches. And they are standalone messages and standalone subjects and standalone Bible studies. Tonight we're going to look at this very last church. And that overarching, overarching, overbearing text in this passage is, Behold, I stand at the door. Uh, the problem today is people don't acknowledge, don't recognize, maybe it's a better word, the fact of who is standing and when he's knocking on our door. I'm going to explore that tonight. And maybe he's knocking on your heart's door and you haven't yet opened that door. And that's the whole purpose of this message. And so I trust that your ears will be open and you'll hear what God will say. Because it says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 3, reading from verse 14 down to the end of the passage. This is the last church mentioned in the book of the Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 14, and here's what it says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. Or be keen to repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and will and he with me. The one who, who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying 
to the churches. Amen. We trust that the Lord will bless that reading to his word, of his word to all of our hearts. There are many, many applications of this passage of scripture. Many applications. It can apply to everyone here and everyone outside. Let me make you a few suggestions just by way of introduction to the passage so we'll hear what God is really saying to us today. This can be to a specific church assembly. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. I can imagine when this church was planted. I can imagine when it was established the great joy there was that they'd found new life in Christ. That there wasn't a dry eye in the, in the house and there wasn't a hard heart in the house. Christ had won their affections. They had fell in love with Jesus. He meant everything. And they would have sang that song, He is my everything. He is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. He gave his life for me, made everything new. He is my everything. Now, how about you? I can imagine them having celebration after celebration, coming keenly to the Lord's table and coming fervently to the prayer meeting, coming and, and, and coming with anticipation and excitement that they're going to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Something's happened. They've lost their first love. Something took, someone took his place. And without them understanding or recognizing it even, they discover he's suddenly not in the midst. He's outside. And he's longing for, seeking for, and knocking for admission back in again. My dear friends, Christ wants to be the preeminent one in our gatherings. He deserves to be the preeminent one. He longs to be the center of our worship and praise. And this can happen not only to a church fellowship. It can happen to an individual just as quickly because we each individual in this gathering as I said this morning the building's not the church people are and suddenly for whatever reason there was a there was a, a, a desertion from and there was a a, a, a a distancing from the one who had won the affections of my heart and they're not now singing oh he is uh, oh I love my love my master and I will not go out free not sing it any longer they can't sing, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. I wonder, as I was preparing this morning, or sorry, this past week, for this message, is there someone in this gathering, and, and, and you long to know that love that you once knew before. You, you long to have that walk that you once had before. You want, long to have that intimacy that you once had before and enjoyed. And try as you may, and try as you might, you still find that it's not as real anymore. It can speak to a specific church assembly. It can also speak of a specific church age. I think we can all agree with that. And, and the, 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 uh, the, the preachers of prophecy, and there are many preachers of prophecy, whether they get it right or get it wrong, this is something that we can rightly apply. Because as it says in in, in God's word, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let no one deceive you by any means that the day of the Lord will not come unless there'll be a falling away 
first. Well, isn't there a drastic falling away today, isn't there? There are no uh, church, there's no um, traffic jams on a Sunday morning many places, sure there's not. You try to get into work, you try to, uh, Esther and I, we traveled down to my son's house on the Lisbon Road from Moira, and the other morning, the other morning, I, I say, I would never live in Belfast. And I don't know why anybody wants to live on the Lisbon Road. And I don't know what beheld my son to even buy a house on the Lisbon Road. It's maybe, it's convenient to his work and it's convenient to his, Catherine's work and it's near the schools that they want to sit. But I want to tell you, that they want their children to go to, I want to tell you, I wouldn't live on the Lisbon Road. We, we left Moira the other morning at 10 to 8 last Monday morning. What time do you think that we got to the Lisbon Road? It was almost five past nine. And we only had to do normally a 15-minute journey. There was traffic jams. Now, granted, there was, there was flooding on the roads. But usually it'll take the best part of an hour. I've never met a traffic jam coming to church here yet. I can freely drive through Belfast on a Sunday morning at any time and any, uh, whatever time I like. Churches are sitting, many of them existing, and we have a lot to be thankful for here in Cullabacky, haven't we? You Cullabackyans, you, you have a lot, you Eliamites that, that have been here for years, haven't got an awful lot to be thankful for. I'd love to hear you more excited about that. I'm not going any longer any other until you say, I, I, give me some kind of a physical verbal response. Haven't we got an awful lot to be thankful for? What we are seeing is not what the world is seeing. There's a falling away, there's a, a going deathly cold. There's, there's a lethargy is settled in. And this is not, by the way, don't be surprised by it because this is foretell, foretold in the word of God. There'll be a, a falling away, a falling away. This passage can easily speak about a, a specific church age. It can also refer to a specific church attitude. Let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here's what, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Understand this, that in the last days there will come a difficulty for people be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. Materialism has taken over in the place of worship and praise. We become glorified humanists with an evangelical slant. We love the pleasure and the good times. We love the, the, the comfort and ease with which this age has brought us. And I, and I read recently, and someone else has repeated it to me, whenever the church had no money, she had power. Now they have money and no power. We have lost an awful lot because pride and the lust for pleasure and good times have gotten in the way. So this passage can easily, because he said, Thou hast rich and have increased in goods and have need of nothing. 
Do you not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? No matter what way you look at this, it speaks to every one of us, doesn't it? And we can also apply it to the unsaved. And so if you're unsaved in this gathering, I can easily and I can eagerly apply this passage to you. And I can say that the same means and methods by which God and Christ, who knocks on our door, as he knocks on the heart and on the door of the church, as he speaks of the specific ages that, the, that we find ourselves in, he uses the same method and means to enter into your life as he is into the church. And before you start pointing a finger at the church, make sure that there are three fingers pointing back. And so I want us to look at this picture, this very clear picture, a very somber picture, and, and bring you three suggestions from merely going through the passage. It's a picture that allures. I stand at the door and knock. Have you ever been captivated by something that you've seen? You couldn't get that picture out of your mind that somehow spoke volumes to you. You probably heard me in my testimony in the little picture that I have, and I only need to speak about it, and it's conjured up in my mind uh, instantly when I speak of it. And that's a little picture of our son just prior to his death. Sitting in a little white rug, and I can see him as plainly, and I'll never forget that picture as long as I live. You ever been captivated by a picture or a scene that as you pondered it and thought about it, it spoke volumes into your heart? You couldn't get away from that picture and try as you might and seek as you might. It always came before you again and again and again. That's the picture we have here. I stand at the door. The presence of Christ at the door is, is, is here. There was an old song in a yesteryear that says, Who's that knocking at my door? Does anybody know the rest of it? Old man, trouble. You remember it? Oh, dear, help you. Who's that knocking on my door? You don't know it? Oh, dear, help us. Well, this is not old man, trouble knocking at our door. This is Christ the resurrected king. When someone drove up to our lane in another lifetime, whenever we were youngsters, we didn't know much of this world and we hadn't seen much of the world and we didn't mix and mingle with many in the world. We were kind of like hillbillies that lift up a lane and very few knew of our existence. But now and again, as my mother would say, whose is that swanky car coming up? Do you know what a swanky car is? Who's that swanky car coming up? Boy, I tell you, there was panic stricken in the house and there was a stampede to get the house tidied up more often with somebody that was lost because they were nothing to do with us. Well, here, folk, even though it might have been somebody that was lost, I'm going to tell you the person that's standing at your door is not lost. I've often heard people say, I found Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus was never lost. He found you. He found a way into your heart. He found a way into your life. 
and he might have had to create circumstances to try and find a way. The one standing at this door, whoever concerned is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is he who was dead and is alive again. He who was nailed to a cross is now standing at the door. May I suggest to you that he who once was under condemnation is seeking to alleviate your condemnation. He who once was dead is seeking to bring life to your life. He who once suffered comes to rescue you from suffering. He who once was found guilty wants to relieve you from the guilt and the shame of your sin. He who bids us ask, seek, knock is the one who's actually seeking and knocking entrance into your life. It's Christ. You might find yourself surprised by this, but it's Christ, the resurrected King. And that's the picture that's standing at this door. This is the one who is a de dead and is alive again and is alive forevermore. It's the, price, the, it's the presence of Christ. Well, what's he doing? He's knocking to disturb. He's knocking to alert, to awaken, to invite he knocks because he knows the infinite, infinite value of your soul. He knocks because of the irres his irresistible love for your soul. He knocks because of the immense peril that your soul is in. He's the one that's knocking. He's the one that's looking for admission. He's the one that longs for you to come alive to him. Depart from your sin and invite him in. Not only is it the presence of Christ at the door we see here which allures us, which surprises us in some senses, which, which amazes us, but it's also the patience of Christ at the door. How long has he been knocking here? Well, we're not told, but the verb would seem to tell us that he's been knocking, and it's, uh, it's almost like a, in a passive sense, he's knocking and keeps on knocking and he keeps on knocking. And there are times you're more aware of that knocking than others. The present tense of the verb here gives us to understand the hours spent and the hope present. It's a patient waiting at your heart or at the church's door or at our age. Now, the patience of Christ, though often rejected by some, sometimes carelessly and recklessly by, rejected by others, and perhaps even cruelly underestimated. I was in a meeting the other night, and I brought my Gibson Hummingbird. I thought I was going to get using it tonight, and then I thought to myself, I'll threaten these people and I'll sing. But I said, I've changed my mind. I won't put you through that. And, and I asked the people, because they'd seen me singing and they'd heard me singing, and, and they'd seen the guitar, and they said, Hands up those of you, uh, uh, no, I held up the guitar and I said, uh, what value would you put on that guitar? And I was going to say this, we yelled all, but that would be wrong for me to say that. This human being in the congregation, I said, 200 pounds, sir. I said, it's more like three and a half grand, missus. And I said to myself, she grossly underestimated my Gibson Hummingbird guitar. And I thought to have a great illustration there for preaching, haven't I? We hand up Christ. What's he worth to you? 
Here's what it says in in Isaiah, in chapter 53. We esteemed him not. That brings you farmers to the marketplace. And it's where you're, you're viewing this animal, and, and you'll pardon the, the, the picture that I'm using, but this is what is, uh, what, what is described by the, the Hebrew scholars. And, and they're, they're viewing this animal, and they're looking at its hindquarters, and they're looking at its front quarters, and they're looking at its overall structure, and they're estimating its worth and its value. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God underestimating Christ. I think the only reason that you could possibly, and the church could under, the only reason that the church or the human or the individual, or this age, this godless age, that is throwing its hook, line, and sinker into the world of materialism, it's only because they've underestimated Christ. Oh, that the world would open up their eyes and see Christ as their only hope. He stands patiently, but he stands even though they mock him, even though they scoff him, even though they don't even acknowledge him, or they don't even revere him, still he stands patiently waiting. Might be that he's been patiently waiting on you. But you've underestimated, like that lady underestimated, I wouldn't set 200 quid, (laughs) You wouldn't buy that. You wouldn't buy that Gibson case for two hundred quid, let alone the guitar. And yet, my friends, it's worth nothing to compare to what Christ's worth. What value do you put on the stuff that you have? Well, I'm offering you tonight something greater. And sadly, the church of our day has exchanged Christ for something of appearance or methodology, tradition. It's only rubbish when it comes to the presence of Christ in our lives and in our fellowship. And it's only garbage when it comes to Christ in your life. How long has he been standing? How often has he knocked? How many times have you cruelly neglected him and rejected him? Are we guilty of doing such? The patience of Christ. The teachings of the Exodus would tell us that God allowed them to go through the wilderness to establish their relationship, to consolidate that relationship and to nurture that relationship. And maybe you've been going through some tough times. But it's all to bring you back into fellowship with him. The presence of Christ. I can mention just a little bit about the peculiarity of Christ. He who bids us ask, seek, knock, is the one who's asking, seeking, and knocking. I'm going to give you two scenes by which I believe Christ has been knocking at the heart of the church and of men and women in general in our world in these days. The world has hardly escaped from COVID. I'm sorry, hardly came away from COVID. It's still very much etched in our memory. 
And it was my utter persuasion that I believed that COVID was a time when God was seeking to waken us up to him. We were catapulted into a different world. We were, catap we were catapulted into a different scene and circumstance. Many of us were, were socially distancing at home. Lots of time on our hands. Some people got into redecorating the house. Some people got into manicuring their gardens. Some people did some restructuring at home as much as they could get materials. I wonder was God saying, set this side of time and seek me. Get away from the busyness of the world. Well, you can't work and the government's paying you to do nothing. So do something that's valuable and seek the Lord. But how many of us did it? Many of us did it. I believe the economic crisis of our day. How easily it has been stripped away. Listen, at one stage, not very long ago, we were being threatened to being charged for the banks keeping our money. Isn't that right? We were down to a quarter of percent, any money you have. We are down to a quarter percent interest and they were about to go flat level. And now, my dear friend, where are we at now? 14 interest raises in the bank and they're mad to get your money because they want to make a pile of money out of you. And how quickly and easily it happened. Almost overnight, listen, he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what God's saying. And he says, with, he speaks with a still, small voice. Let me take you to one other that I hadn't thought of, but I think of it as I'm standing here now. We mentioned it this morning. Our prophetic barometer, Israel. And we see the utter, utter one-sidedness of the social media, media as they berate Israel for standing up for yourself. I'm not going to go into the politics. But I believe we have been fast-tracked to begin to contemplate the, the possibility that Christ could arrive through the clouds tonight because everything's in place. Are we hearing God? Or are we so taken up with anger and rage? Are we so taken up with the scenes of man's inhumanity to man? Or are, we, or are we ignoring, have we not heard that this is probably one of the methods, one of the means by which God seeks to gain admission into our hearts and into the church? The word of God says, gird up your loins. You know what that meant? Well, men used to wear long dresses. I don't know, long robes. Sorry, not dresses. I'm not, I'm not take that one back. Long robes. And when they got these long robes, they gird up their loins. They bared their legs and they got ready to run. Because they would have been restrained and restricted in their running. Should they try to run with these long robes? And God is saying to the church today, I believe, gird up your loins. He's coming. He's coming. And they say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. I don't know about you, 
the longer I've gone on in this Christian experience of mine, the less I feel at home here in this old world. I've become uncomfortable. You can hardly turn on the television where you'll find one obscene scene after another, one obscenity after another. And somehow, somehow, some way, we've allowed ourselves to get sucked into the old pleasures of the world. Oh, I, tell you, I believe he's knocking. Notice the patience, I won't, I won't prolong, but notice the, the patience of Christ at the door, he's knocking. Would you be a wee bit impatient? Sometimes I can. I'm not gonna go down the green, the red and the amber lights. <laughs> no need to do that. But we live in an age when we want it not today, we want it yesterday. Do you know what keeps him at the door? Someone in this church tonight sent me a lovely text about the love of God. And I replied, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's love keeps him at your door. You think about that, young person. It's love keeps him at your door. His love for your soul. His love for your life that you're about to squander. He knows what he can do much more with that life than you'll ever do. You give him that life and allow him full sway and there's no telling what God can do with it. I love that old song. You probably don't know it. Some of you may. Some of you look as if you may know it. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. If you're ever interested, you'll get my phone number on the, on the little plaque, notice board outside the door. If you ever want to take my number down, ring me. If you're interested in how did I ever come to get into the work of God? How did I ever come to be involved in pastoral work? How did I ever become an evangelist? How did someone who on the first, on, I was going to say the first day he got married, I got the, on that day I got married, on that day when I stood up to say the groom's speech, I said, on behalf of my wife and I, and then I was tongue-tied and I couldn't say nothing, I sat down. You see, whenever you give your life to him, Oh, I tell you, it's love that keeps him at your door. Not, not, notice not only the picture that allures, but notice, and I've already probably spoken most, much about this, but there's a purpose that's assured. I stand the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. We're not left in the dark as to what his intentions are. There's the welcome for which he remains. He wants you to invite him in. I've noticed and known over the many years that I've been involved in gospel preaching, God never forces his way into your life. And any, listen, 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 come up close here. 
any preacher that takes you by the arm and twists your arm up your back and tries to make you get saved, he's not working for God. My, my son, my youngest son, Esther and I were working in Macherfeld. And there was a mission came on. We were having a flying mission. And when you remember me of a flying mission, some of you don't understand what I'm talking about. God had come. See, whenever we were in the Mid-Ulster area, I want to tell you, God was taking greenhorns who couldn't preach a gospel. But there were things happening that were out of this world. And mission after mission, gathering after gathering, souls were getting saved. In fact, I can remember one night we were so held up with people coming to Christ, we nearly hadn't time to get home till we were back again. And listen, whenever we were in Tubbergrawley, Tully Grawley, there was one night that, that we were completely uh, uh, overwhelmed with the response, and we didn't know how to preach. There was one such mission, and they said, oh, your man's coming. We won't mention his name, because he probably was a good godly man, and it's just what some people put a preacher on a pedestal. So we stopped. It's the only mission, if you understand what I mean by mission, this gospel campaign was, had gone for four weeks, that we to this day regret that we ever finished, stopped, because so-and-so was coming. I want to tell you folks, there were times, and I don't say this for the glory of Trevor Nesta Galanders, because we couldn't preach to keep ourselves warm. But there were times whenever heaven came in. I can remember one gathering, you couldn't preach for weeping. And I'm not a weepy preacher, you might weep at me preaching. We closed this mission because your man was coming. The second or third night, we as a family decided we would attend this mission because after all, that's what's expected. If you're working in the area, you went to the mission and you supported it. On the way out, the preacher had a hold of her wee son by the hand and I tell you, scared the living daylight. You remember this, Esther? Now, young man, it's time you got saved. How did he know? How did he know? I tell you, it's one of the most dangerous things you can do with this. And there might be someone here tonight, and you were taken and you were, here's the, here's the theological, for want of a better word, here's the theological term, buttonholed. And that was a dangerous thing. Thankful he was saved at the age of three and a half. But it could easily have turned him off. No, friends, he wants you to invite him in. He wants you to open up your heart. He wants to see him hanging on the cross and estimate for you his value. What will it mean for you to trust him? Sins forgiven? Peace with God? Or, let me build another scenario. Will it mean for you a restoration from your backsliding? Or will I build another scenario? 
from the fears and the doubts that have crowded into your heart and the uncertainty of your future, though you name him, you let him in. Oh, what a change. Oh, there's no doubt he longs for you to invite him in. The work for which he reproves Verses 17 to 19, rebuke and chasten. Very briefly, let me say, the reason Christ has removed himself from fellowship from anyone or any church is because they have looked to wealth, to works, and to appearances, and to appeal, and sadly became independent as a result. Living for the wrong lifestyle. Listening to the wrong teachers. Lingering at the wrong fountain. Looking to the wrong testimony. I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. Isn't it easy that in this easy world of, of finance where the government pays you to stay at home in times of crisis almost, you start to look to politicians, the welfare doctors even and I'm not saying that doctors shouldn't be doctors because thank God Luke was a doctor and lose the desire for him oh he will withdraw him he won't play a second fiddle to anything or anyone either in your life or mine it'll not be Christ and It'll be Christ only. Christ only. Is he speaking to your heart? The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from your throne and trust only in thee. Have you an idol? Could you now in faith and determination and with courage rip that idol from the throne of your heart and sing that song? I hate the sins that made thee mourn and worship only thee. The sin for which he reproves Notice the reassurance he gives. I will come in. I remember getting into an argument one day, not that you, but I, I, I don't have much potential getting into an argument. An argument. I jest, of course. I can remember one day I was living in Larne and there was a pastor of Larne Mission Hall at the time and these pair arrived at the door and I knew who they were, Jehovah Witnesses, and I was in bad form. And they came to the right door for a good long argument. I tell you, I says, I'm going to keep them here as long as I possibly can. Uh, by the way, I always encourage saints of God not to get into an argument because sometimes your soul can feel grieved after listening to what they have to peddle. So only if you are in a good, good old stubborn mood like me. And up she came, sorry, up they came, nice and sheepish. Oh, hello, how are you? I says, hello, how are you? 
And, and so we get into the conversation. And, and she said, she said so, oh, she went, she, they peddled the usual old crack. Uh, and, 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 and it was almost as if we were going to all don shovels and spades and clean up the earth whenever we were all finished with it. Because that's what they believe. They believe that. The meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. I said, right, okay. So I, 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 I was, after an hour, after an hour, I, I, I said, you know that Christ was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Where do you find that in your Bible? I said, you find it in 1 Peter. And I said, you know what it says in the Revelation? He was a lamb slain from, from the foundation of the world. And she, she, she ran to her Bible. She didn't, she'd never heard that Christ was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Because that suggests before the world was ever created, God knew there was going to be a need. God knew that man was going to fall into sin. And God knew that we were going to need a redeemer. So way before we were created, oh, she says, I don't serve a God like that. Well, I said, then you're God. My God didn't do that. My God doesn't know that. I said, well, then you're God's stupid. And after an hour and a half, she says, I have to go. Well, I said, there's more here. And then we nearly rounded up. And then the next thing you see, people down at the gate, and there, there's about four or five of them or six of them standing at our gate, and they're backing at her to come, and I'm still holding on to her. Well, that was one less house or ten less houses she had to do. My dear friend, I can remember talking to an old saint, and I believe he knew the Lord, and he says, you're always talking about asking Jesus into your heart. She says, where do you read that in the Bible? I says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And wherever that is in your life, be it the seat of your emotions, the seat of your affections, the seat of your will, seat of your will he comes in and takes up residence and he begins to animate, and he get, begins to energize you to live for him. He says, I'll come in to the real you. The real you. I'm almost done. Let, 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 here's, here's a wee story about Napoleon. He was viewing his troops when suddenly his horse bolted and started, startled by lightning and panic-stricken, galloped off, and while he, Napoleon, was still on board. The quick action of a young private in his army grabbed hold of the reins and soon had the horse quietened and Napoleon was safe. Immediately, Napoleon said to the young private, Thank you, Captain. The young private accepted the instant promotion and stood in line with the rest of the officers. And instead of the privates, instead of the privates and non-commissioned soldiers... One officer shouted, Private, get back in line. To which the private passed no remarks. He says, I'm captain now. And pointing Napoleon, he stated, he said so. When you invite Christ into your life, though you might come in here backslidden, far away from God, cold and lifeless the moment you allow the Lord of life, light and liberty you're his child reunited and reinstated 
and the fold and family of God and that joy wells up within your soul again. Oh, my dear friends, there's a real reason for which he stands outside your door. Can I just mention three other things? This is the difference that his presence will make. We'll come in and have sup with him. He becomes your host. You sup with him and he with us. Speaking of intimacy, joy, discovering the real reason for which we exist. What about the distinction he makes? He who overcomes. You become an overcomer. One who is able to march this world in robes of white. And there's the presence that manages in our life. Look at, here's what it says in Mark, Matthew 19. Jesus said unto them, Assuredly I say unto you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Church, let's do everything we can to have him at the very center of all that we do. Dear individual life, let's cast away all those things that have diverted us and distracted us. And let's again allow him full sway in all our hearts. I'm going to pray for you. Let's bow together in prayer. I'm going to pray for you from the pulpit. And after I pray for you, perhaps that you will want to speak with someone and there will be someone at the front here that you may speak with. If you want to speak with me in the door and the way out to you, that as well is up to you. But there are two, three areas that I'd like to pray. First of all, for the life that wants to know more of his presence in their lives tonight. And you've allowed yourself to get distracted by this world or events in your life. You haven't fully heard or recognized the voice of God. And tonight you realize what he was doing all the while. And you've heard him tonight. The backslider. The person that's growing cold. Your faith isn't as real. Your life's not as purpose, direct. And you want him to take the reins of your life once again. And then for the unseen person that has heard my voice, the voice of God, I mean, you've heard him rattling your cage. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray for every true blue believer in this gathering, Lord, who longs to know even more of God, Lord, longs to know even deeper depths and higher heights, Longs to be more surrendered, more yielded, more in fire, more encouraged with God. 
Lord, thank you that your word says you give and you give and you give again. And eye hath not seen nor ear hath heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Our Father, I pray that you'll come with a baptism of fire. Lord, as someone said to me on the way into the church, church tonight, uh, we can have the bucket in the sea and the sea in the bucket. Lord, may that bucket be in the sea tonight. Our Father, we pray that we'll be so filled with the Spirit of God and the presence of God that this church will come on fire for God. Our Father, we pray for the church. God, grant that we not be living on the dregs of the past. Lord, we'll not be sort of scratching the surface. But, O oh God, that we'll be draining from, the, from the, the fountain of life and the freedom of the baptism of the Spirit of God. Our Father, we ask that the He, the Spirit of God, will possess the whole today. Lord, for that backslider, perhaps, that's been going through the motions. Lord, has just been lingering and just uh, in and out, dipping in and out, and without a desire, perhaps, to have an encounter, yet not seeing their way to find it. Oh, God, I pray that they'll throw open the hearts, lives, and invite Christ in. And Father, for the unseen soul, God, would you give wisdom? Would you shine your light into their hearts, we pray, and give such hunger and thirst for God, Lord, that you'll make them a real pinnacle of, of the miracle of God's grace and glory. And Father, may not one person leave here this evening, Lord, unchanged and unchallenged. Exalt your Son and glorify your great name, for you ask it in Christ name. Amen. I'm going to sing our closing song. Uh, and you know who you are if God has spoken to you. Don't be one bit embarrassed to do dealings with him. Just as I am without one plea, the new version. And we'll sing to God's glory. And as you do so, listen, if you want to walk up to the front, there'll be some of us will meet you at the front. Why not? I'm not going to make any barriers or difficulties for you. But make sure that as he's been knocking, you've opened the door and invited him in. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, in this gathering, as you have spoken, we receive your healing. We receive your blessing, Lord. We receive the, the word of God to our hearts and we respond by faith and take up our cross and we follow him. Lord, accept our thanks and part us in your fear and with your blessing. May we hear your voice more and more in these days as we see the day approaching. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.